0: episode 474 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio and I'm your writer host producer Derek M. Cook and the music you're hearing right now it's the song Sea Treasure. It's from the new album Isolation Songs from the band Amphibian Man. This album just came out a couple of days ago. Amphibian Man, it has been on the show in the past. They are a surf band based out of Kiev, Ukraine. You can find them at amphibianman.bandcamp.com or just follow the link in the show notes when you're done listening to this episode. You're going to hear the song in its entirety at the end of the podcast. What we have coming up this week is kind of a return to form. Last month was incredible. It was Luchador de Mayo. We did a whole bunch of luchador monster movies. Now we're going to get back to doing uh, non-luchador stuff. And we're going to tap into the filmography of one of my favorite filmmakers. We're going to be talking about a Val Luton film this week. We're talking about the movie Isle of the Dead. Val Luton, Boris Karloff, you cannot go wrong. And I am joined by returning guest, Paul McComas. Paul and I are going to talk a little bit about the movie. We're going to talk about Val Luton, probably talk a little bit about Karloff. It's a fun conversation. We're going to talk a little bit about what Paul has been up to lately. I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. Also, of course, we have Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. That'll be coming up here as well. Before we get to the rest of the show, just a special announcement. The Social Distance Saturday screenings are continuing. They've been a lot of fun so far, and I don't think they're going to be anything but even more fun in the future. This weekend is the Social Distance Saturday that wouldn't die, and that's happening on Saturday at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. It starts at 11 a.m. Pacific. That is when the pre-show begins. And then slightly after 12 or so, we start the movies with live chat. It is completely free. So if you are available this Saturday at any point during the day and even into the night, because we go a good nine to 10 hours, hop on over twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. And again, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. If you'd like to join us, just click on that. Follow along. You don't have to chat it up, but you're encouraged to do so. I can tell you right now that some of the movies that you're going to be seeing this weekend are The Screaming Skull, Cave Women on Mars, The Brain That Wouldn't Die. You're going to see an episode of One Step Beyond, at least one chapter of the serial The Crimson Ghost dracula ad 2015 a coffin for black phantom and well who knows what else i'm sure we're going to be playing at least two rounds of the classic five throughout the day and there will be an opportunity for you to win your very own bride you'll have to tune in on saturday to know exactly what that's all about so i look forward to seeing you there like i said it's totally free and it's totally fun okay that's happening this weekend the rest of the show though that's happening right now
1: fortress, a submarine. Atragon, technology's newest, fights all the powers of black magic. The mysterious submerged continent of Mu attacks our world. I am agent number 23 of the Mu Empire. Earthquake is not accidental. Terror panics civilization. As cataclysmic forces clash. Atragon in color. Ah! Terror strikes. As the Obi oh Man brings doom oh, to a city of beautiful girls, Naked Evil plus the Gorilla Gang, it's a new high and screaming terror on your local theater screen for the year's top terror horror hits. Be sure to see Naked Evil and the Gorilla Gang now, program rated R. <laughs> In 1972,
2: American TV networks canceled 12 TV shows for crimes they didn't commit. These shows were promptly forgotten by the public and faded into obscurity. Today, Chris Cooling researches these shows for a podcast. If there's a TV show that no one else remembers, and if you have earbuds, maybe you can listen to Forgotten TV.
3: Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's film, Isle of the Dead, was never featured in FM, but it was briefly mentioned in Famous Monster's first article about Boris Karloff. In issue number two from September of 1958, a 10-page, 10-photo article entitled The Monster Who Made a Man appeared. It opened with this. One name looms above all others when we think of the mishappened screen monster who has haunted them nightmares of moviegoers for a quarter of a century. Boris Karloff. One hundred and forty years ago, beyond the memory of any living man or woman, although Dracula and the Mummy probably remember the occasion well, a daring teenager wrote the book Frankenstein. She was Mary Shelley, age 17. In 1887, in London, William Henry Pratt was born, a boy who was destined in his early twenties to cross the broad Atlantic Ocean and, at the age of 45 and under another name, bring to life upon the screen the shuddersome creation of Mary Shelley. The article continues with a look at Karloff's career up until 1958. It pays closest attention to his Frankenstein films and for some unknown reason his Columbia Mad Scientist movies, while simply listing numerous others. Today's movie was mentioned in this paragraph. Karloff has had much to do with cemeteries. Remember the Body Snatchers? The Robert Louis Stevenson story where he was a grave robber? And the eerie Isle of the Dead? And one of his latest, Voodoo Island? The article concludes with a look at two horror anthologies that bear his name and a preview of films coming in the future. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters. We will have more next time. Till then, this is Kenny for MKR saying adios. You know, Kenny, I'm not
0: really surprised that Isle of the Dead didn't get full coverage in Famous Monsters of Filmland. And I, I don't know. I'd have to look, and maybe you could let us know in the future, on a future installment, or maybe even during a social distance Saturday. Look at me giving you work to do. But maybe you could let us know. Were the Val Luton films really covered all that much in Famous Monsters? I'd be curious. They're not really your typical monster movies. So I, I wonder if Forey Ackerman gave them the same kind of attention he'd give like a universal or any of those other films just just curious I've been on a Boris Karloff kick lately myself, loving... I love Karloff. I mean, you're going to hear me talk about how much I love Karloff here in a second with Paul McComas. Just I love me some Boris. And I'm actually working right now with a longtime listener of the show, Jeff B. Uh, We're going to have him on the show in the near future. He's never been a guest before, but he did mention maybe talking about the Boris Karloff... Mexican horror films, the final films that he did in his career. Uh, Some of the movies weren't even released until after he had passed. These are some of the lesser-known films from the Karloff filmography, and he and I will be talking about those. I just got to schedule some time to make it happen. And uh, now that I've said it here on the podcast, I guess I'm kind of committed. So (laughs) stay tuned for that. Kenny, once again, thanks for the Famous Monsters segment, and I'll see you on Saturday. Well not really I mean we'll chat on Saturday I can't actually see you where you're at I mean that would be even if I could you know what never mind
2: Good evening monster kids this is the count I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's go forth and game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming, with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go forth, game, good! And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go forth and game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that i've come across in 4522 years so if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games the best family games game schooling various game mechanics and of course monster themed games then you should give go forth and game a try that's GoForthinGame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify.
1: Imagine the world around you is nothing but an illusion. Creatures of legend wage endless wars between shadow and light. But you never see it. Even now, dark forces threaten reality as we know it. But most people never know they exist. This is the world I walk in. I am called Byron. And these are my chronicles. The Byron Chronicles, available at ericbusbypresents.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and everywhere else podcasts are available. Across the centuries comes this exciting story of a modern girl cursed by an ancient legend. The legend of the cat people. Women whose kiss means death, whose love turns them into vicious, snarling beasts of prey. followed by something that was not human, something that attempted to take my life. I believe that was the cat form of Irena. Why should she wish to harm you? Because I'm in love with her husband.
4: It's shut, Belle. Just a minute ago, it was open. It's locked. Leave us, Irena.
0: Before we get into the conversation with Paul, just a heads up. I spent about a month working on this audio, and I just want everybody to know that what you're hearing is the absolute best that you're going to get. I've done everything that I could possibly do. There were some connection issues that towards the end of the recording, they really became apparent. And I think it was, I'm not sure how it happened. I don't know where the issue came in, if it was Paul's cell phone, my Skype, whatever. I think the conversation, as it is right now, still sounds great, but I just want to give you guys and gals a heads up, and especially Paul, because I'm sure he's listening too. Anyway, Vlad, hit us with that spoiler warning.
1: This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize
0: me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me
1: to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing.
0: I've lost track of how long it's been since I've had Paul McComas on the show, but when he reached out to me about a couple of movies, specifically the one we're talking about today, I thought, you know what? It's been a long time. What a perfect movie to have Paul come back for. Paul McComas, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio.
5: Derek Cook, thank you. It's great to be virtually there. Uh, We actually did uh, an interview, the last one we did was in your home about the inner sanctum mysteries, right? Has it been that long? 2017, I think, give or take. Wow. Yeah. 2016, we did the um, anniversary of King Kong 76.
0: That's right. That's right. And we'll be doing some more King Kong later this year. Sure. So.
5: Yes, that's right. We will. Yeah, because I went to the stage show on Broadway, and that was pretty incredible. Not perfect, but incredible. So, yeah, the Inter Sanctum one that we did at your place, that's the last time. That was about three years ago.
0: Wow. I've been following you online since. I mean, we're friends online anyway, and I've been watching what you've been up to. You just recently did a virtual would you call it a seminar or a screening of some of your films? we
5: we'll call it a streaming screening with a little screaming. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Actually, we just call it a streaming screening, but it should have said with a little screaming, because some of it was horror, some of it was not. Sponsored by Woodland Pattern art Center uh, Book Center. They are an art center, but they're called Woodland Pattern Book Center in Milwaukee. And uh, they did a retrospective of some of my IGFC film, intergenerational self-collaboration, where I went back to movies that I made uh, from 13 to 21, went back decades later in my 40s and 50s, and didn't remake them, but used the original footage and supplemented it in a number of ways, restored and added audio, and they've done well for me. I'm sure other people have done this too, but I don't know that anyone's coined a term for it other than me, and... So I have been called the father of IGSC, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be her father.
0: I did watch, uh, I came in a half an hour later so, but I did catch most of the movies. I'd seen some of them before, and then there were some new viewing experiences for me, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun.
5: Thanks, people, in about a week. Let's say by that mid-May, if they go to woodlandpattern.org uh, and search a little bit, they'll be able to find an archive of the one hour and 50-minute full uh, streaming screening with Screaming, uh, which is back and forth between. Uh, I intro one of the films, we watch it, and then I give some commentary, and there was a talk.
0: Excellent. Thing. Well, I'll keep an eye out for that too, and as soon as that's available, I'll make sure there are links in the show notes Great. so people can check them out. Because we, we like it when Monster Kids do good, and those were good films, so it'll be Thank fun you to watch. Very
5: much. Appreciate it. I've been following your career too, and um, continue to be glad that you continue to get the kind of recognition and acclaim that you and the show.
0: Well. <laughs> Let's not get too crazy, but thank you.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've slathered each other in syrup, uh, where do we go? Right. To to the Isle of the Dead, I believe. Is that where we're heading?
0: We're going to head to the Isle of the Dead. You know, I haven't talked about Val Luton enough on this podcast. I am a huge fan of Val Luton. And I don't know if it's like this for you, but for me, every time I watch a Val Luton film, that one becomes my favorite Val Luton film. Yeah, it doesn't matter, you know. I watch the Leopard Man; that one becomes my favorite. Oh, I walk I with see. the zombie; then that one's my favorite. You know, I just I kind of keep going over. I just I love them all, but yeah, they just seem to be so affecting.
5: Yeah, sure. There's a contagion um, to them, not unlike the Septicemic Plague that that Isle of the Dead concerns. But no, my favorite always will be I Walked with a Zombie. You and I did a segment on that many years ago. Uh, I think early in, in the life of MKR, uh, we talked about some of the socio-racial going on in there and how it was ahead of its time in a lot of ways. It remains my favorite, probably followed by Cat People and Curse of the Cat People in that order. Objectively speaking, I look at Isle of the Dead and I put it pretty much in the middle of the pack of nine, but uh, I feel a real affection for it. I I remember very well the first time I saw it and it it continues to haunt me, uh, the atmospheric it, And uh, it's one of the bleakest films this side of the creature walks among us. Uh, if you're feeling bad about the state of the world, it may not be the movie to watch, so this may not be the best time for it. Or, <laughs> depending on your personality, it's the perfect time for it because you'll nod your head and right. say, Yep, yep, that's about it.
0: There's a little bit of catharsis there, yeah. Yeah.
5: (laughs) Creature walks among us has a bleaker view of humanity, and Isle of the Dead there are some decent people for whom you can root. And listeners, you just
0: found out the key to making sure that you can invite it back to Monster Kid Radio. You just mentioned one of the Creature from the Black Lagoon films, and you're in. So there you go.
5: I'm sorry, it wasn't an Agar film. That would have made me a weekly appearer on Monster Kid Radio. (laughs) (laughs) The sequel to an Agar.
0: I I love Creature Walks Among Us. It's underrated, but anyway.
1: It's all new, The Creature Walks Among Us, more terrifying in human form. Striking at the heart of the city with inhuman fury.
5: The Creature Walks Among Us. I pulled up all the data on IMDb um, just an hour ago, and I saw three others with that title which I, I, I doubt their remake. I'd be very surprised. 1983, 2016, and 2018. The 2016 starring Joey Lawrence. So I really assume and hope that's not a remake. Wow. I, I know nothing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> whoa, that's probably more appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, I've got the plague, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it looks more like a zombie movie than anything else.
5: Well, Zombie, if you were describing the, you know, the quality of his emotional range on screen, but um, oh,
0: yeah. Wow. Too, oh,
5: too too soon, too soon.
3: And speaking <laughs> of joking, you know,
5: I'm not going to joke at all about COVID-19, but I think we can joke about the septicemic, plague. that's long over. And, uh, you know, it's, it's at the core of the movie. So Isle of the Dead 1945, that's where we're going, right? We want to get in that little boat and sail across to that beautiful painting.
0: I don't know if we want to get in that boat knowing what's going to happen in the movie, but I hear what you're saying.
5: <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't get in. I know what happens, and we should stay exactly where we are. Although, maybe not. I mean, the plague, obviously, is running amok on the war fields and the battlefield uh, as well as on the island.
0: I'm fascinated by how this movie kind of came together, the way Val Lewton looked at that painting and mm-hmm. used it for inspiration for I Walk with a Zombie, of course, but then also for this film. Yeah. And that painting, Isle of the Dead, I'm fascinated by that, that there's more than one version of it. Right. Do you know much about the painting and the background of all that?
5: I, I don't know much, but I know it's gorgeous. I love that view that they have when they're getting ready to take the boat over, and you see it's quite open in titles, too, I think. Mm-hmm. It's not a map painting, and it doesn't have to be a map because they're not searching anyone into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's so evocative.
0: Yeah.
5: sounds like a place that you... Would like to visit and know you shouldn't. And, and that's maybe the experience of what the horror movie is, not it? I know I shouldn't, but I want to. So here we go. Yeah, I love it.
0: That painting has inspired so many different pieces of artwork and, and, yeah. and uh, music over the years. So to see it represented here in this Val Luton film, it's just neat to have that kind of connective tissue to all these other amazing pieces of artwork and drama and, and paintings and, yeah. and such over the years. So
5: one more thing about the painting, Derek. Have you seen it in color? The painting, not the movie, the painting, I mean.
0: I, I've seen pictures of it online.
5: Okay, okay. I haven't, and I'm not going to seek them out. Oh. Not just because I'm colorblind. <laughs> so I would see muted versions of the colors anyway, but because it's so gorgeous to me in black and white and gray and the luminescent silver that is the silver screen yeah. the reason we call it that. I don't want to see it in color. It would look garish to me. This movie, Pile of the Dead, it has to be in black and white. And the painting, to my mind, has to be in black and white. That's just one colorblind man's
0: opinion. Hey, I'm colorblind, too, so I totally understand. I don't see all the vibrancy sometimes, either. Uh, I have seen it in color, but you're right. There's just something more rich and evocative about it being in black and white. But then I'm also very against colorizing anything in black and white.
5: Oh, my God. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. Um, And maybe you feel this way, too. I, I would assume more colorblind people do than regular seeing people. As much as I love many, many colored films, I prefer the black and white and gray, silver palette, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. Me too. Yeah, I miss it, honestly, and so we have to go back into the past. It me when young people don't want to watch something because it's black and white, but then I remember that when I was a kid I didn't want to watch silent movies, so pretty soon it's going to be, wait, it's not a holographic movie? Well, I don't want to see that.
0: I don't have to put on special glasses to watch it? I don't want to watch that.
5: (laughs) Oh, we won't need glasses. Soon they'll just be hovering in the room, Derek. Yeah, there you go. That's where we're headed. Yeah. <laughs> Virtual experiences. You can actually be on the Isle of the Dead if they if they do the transfer. You can get the trident in your chest if you want.
0: It. If you want. I don't know if I'd want to hang out with those characters too long. Uh, yeah, some of them. Some, some of, of them. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk Karloff? I'm, I'm a huge fan. I, I mean, I don't say this very often anymore but back when i started the podcast i used to say that this is you know the podcast where karloff is king and i do believe that karloff is one of the you know the saints of monster kid radio so to speak i'm fascinated by his work his life story everything that he's done and when he connected with val luton man you can just see the enthusiasm the life kind of come back into him when it comes to doing these genre films because he's kind of getting burned out on it for a while
5: Yeah, well, what happened with Luton and RKO is that they were giving him a chance to do something different, and certainly less of a monster genre. There aren't monsters in the Lutons or the Luton turners or the Luton Robesons, for that matter. This was the first of Mark Robesons. It was a directorial debut in the uh, Luton thriller canon. Mm -hmm. And I think Karloff saw a lot of meaty roles in those scripts. He must have been pretty enthusiastic when he saw the script for Isle of the Dead. I call his character an anti-villain. He's not good enough to be an anti-hero. He is an anti-villain, and that kind of gray uh, is, you know. Speaking as an actor, I can say that kind of gray is much more fulfilling and exciting to sink your teeth into than, um, well, you know. On the one extreme, you've got a terrible movie like Titanic, a terrible screenplay, and Leo, his character can do no wrong. Everything he says, it does. Perfect, and then you've got in character and everything he says and does is terrible and I'm not going to cry uh, you can't make me cry when that's the, that's what passes for characterization but the graves, I mean uh, you know I love Harley Quinn and there's an anti-villain slash anti-hero who does some appalling things but you can't help but root for her even Joker uh, in the latest incarnation an anti-villain of sorts segwaying into a full-on villain but taking you along for the ride so yeah Karlov, General Nicholas there's a lot of bad things about him, but there's a few good things about him too, wouldn't you say?
0: I, I would think so. And just like every villain or anti-villain, he doesn't think what he's doing is wrong. I mean, he is living up to these ideals that he set up for himself as a soldier, as yeah. a as as a, a man of authority. He's got to take care of his troops, his people, his country, his land, right. his cause. So when he executes or has somebody punished by firing squad, basically, uh, at the very beginning of the movie, it's it's unfortunate, yet, and suicide. yeah. And
5: forced to do it, but yeah. But he's forced
0: to do it. Yeah, he feels he's forced to do it. This is my duty. This is what I got to do. And you kind of have to respect that a little bit. It's still terrifying, but you still respect it.
5: Yeah, I have a hard time with that one because he pushes, I mean, to his credit, in quotes, he lets the man take his own life. He's trying to preserve some dignity and honor. Uh, mm-hmm. by sliding the revolver over, but it's clear what he wants. And what's weird to me is the uh, hero, Oliver Davis, the uh, journalist from Boston, he's not really that bothered by the fact that his new friend, General Farides has just done this. I mean, he says a couple of things about it, and then basically they're going off to like a little trip to the island together it's like they're going to the bar and that's really hard for me to take as um, belonging to a sympathetic character yeah it's hard to justify his forcing suicide upon a soldier um we all make mistakes come on but uh yeah, if he repeats like a litany no one no one may leave the island no one may leave the island no one
1: may leave the island i'm afraid you'll have to
5: make an exception in my case general i'm traveling
1: on urgent business for my government
5: No one may leave the island. And he is within his rights to say that. He is the general of the ongoing war. And there is plague on the island, and he can't have his soldiers and his countrymen potentially infected. So I'm with him on that, and he's pulled into the superstition. I mean, the potential for that is there for him from the start. But uh, you know that it's the influence of uh, Madame Cura. Uh, that takes him there. Let's notice that the very first thing that happens in the film is he washes his hands. Yeah. General Farides washes his hands, which is a loaded image. It refers to the plague, uh, which looks very different through our eyes today than it has looked to me at any other time I've watched so for obvious reasons. But the other meaning of the hand washing is the kind of conscious pilot hand washing. I'm condemning a man, oh. and I wash my hands of this. This isn't my fault. Okay. Uh, what I'm about to yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it's a close up of the hand, pull to show Karloff, pull back further to show the man who's about to take his own life. Uh, and Karloff doesn't, he doesn't blink, you know, uh, he justifies it and says, hey, that was my friend. I think I wanted to do that. So he watches it.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's not something I picked up on.
5: What about Karloff's war?
0: No, about the... Uh, the, the yeah. The, well, that's yeah. why
5: I'm here. Derek, that's why I make the big bucks for these these... Okay. Is that how yeah. that works? <laughs> Thank you for instituting that new $200 per interview. Paul, one out there should...
0: No, no, no. We can't put that out there, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to edit that out, Paul. Come no, on. I'm not kidding.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you can leave it in as a joke. It's a joke, people.
0: It's, a joke. it's more like $300. Yeah. We, but... do this we, love...
5: <laughs> we do this because we love you, okay? And we love the movies and we love Derek. No, we That's love cool.
0: the films, man. These movies and Val Luton. <laughs> yeah.
5: Harlot's so, the watchdog. That's his job.
0: Yeah, and that's his nickname. That's what they call him. Yeah.
5: Yeah, that's right. And and he is not going to that island until the, the hot wind blows and kills the fleas. And that's his job. And he does it. He does it till his dying moment.
0: The film, for me, it's interesting to watch the film with Karloff as the central I don't like the, the, the guy we're going to hang around with for the rest of the movie because we get to see his descent into this belief in the supernatural, what's going on with the superstition, and he ultimately succumbs to some things, and it's fascinating for me to watch yep. that movie through his eyes. There are other things happening on the island, of course, and there are scenes that he's not involved with. One of my favorite scenes has nothing to do with Karloff, but it's really interesting to watch his descent, and it's just Karloff acting his heart out. Yep. He, he's really pulling out all the stops, and it's obvious to see the the rejuvenated Karloff with Luton here. He's uh, yep. it, just so good. Yes,
5: you can see that performance start to pivot, mm-hmm. not in a really obvious way that would be the mark of a lesser actor, but in a subtle way. We'd see a general who's completely in control all the way through until he sees that his wife's body is stolen from her tomb.
0: And it's right about there where we start to see the change in General Farides, I feel like, and then Madame Kira, whether she means to or not, doesn't really help when she keeps telling, uh, at least the general, that there is a favorica among them. And you were telling me earlier about the singing that the journalist and the general hear uh, right after they find that the tomb is empty.
5: They're about to leave the island, uh, you know, uh, having found out that the, the tomb has been raided and empty. But then the singing comes, and, and you know, I, as he says, we need to follow that voice. There's a shading to his performance that, uh, to my eyes, uh, starts right about there in terms of Madame Kira, you know, I I have this thing I've been propagating or promulgating for some years now called the Triple M, the midpoint movie moment. Okay. Where I'd say that halfway through any visual narrative doesn't apply so well to to short stories, novels, and the like, but dramatic television and uh, fiction films, you go to the halfway mark, you're going to find that pivotal moment. Everything preceding it has led up to it. Everything that follows is a result of it. You know, it's just like the hero's journey in that a writer uh, doesn't have to have it pinned up to the bulletin board next to the word processor and make it happen. It just happens because, you know, Jung would say it's, it's a part of us. A uh, storyteller tells the hero's journey more often than not, or some variation on it. Uh, it. It inserts into cinematic visual narrative the midpoint movie moment. And what it is here, you guys can check on this if you want, uh, 7136, and you will find general feeds the fire for Hermes, which right there shows that he's starting to turn away from a scientific approach to something more spiritual. And there is Kira. She laughs and she mocks him and he convinces him about the Vervalic God. He doesn't say, OK, I'm convinced. But you can tell from the look on his face and what he does next that she has finally turned him. And it's right in the center. And then everything changes.
0: And I think a lesser actor wouldn't have been able to communicate that to us in such a way. I'm always touting how much I love Bela Lugosi here on the show. And whenever somebody talks about Lugosi versus Karloff, I go to the Lugosi side. However, Lugosi couldn't have done this. Nobody could have done this the way Karloff did.
5: Yeah, and Karloff couldn't have done Igor. Oh, sure. But we don't expect them to as much range as an actor has. I mean, I I think Julianne Moore and Paul Giamatti might have been able to do Igor because they've got more range than anyone (laughs) I've ever seen. But, um, you know, by and large, even the great actors like Karloff and Lugosi, they they have their strengths. Mm -hmm. And they're generally cast towards their strengths, unlike Tom Cruise in the Anne Rice adaptation, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Vampire, Uh New Orleans Vampire. I think that was the name of it. Crazy New Orleans Vampire Party. With Tom it's, it's,
0: I thought it was called Vampires Anonymous, where they just kind of sit around. It's like, hi, I'm a vampire. Oh, <laughs> hi. Yeah, yeah. anyway. <laughs>
5: Interview with the movie star vampire, I believe, was the actual one. Okay, okay. But, uh, so anyway, yeah, Karloff, uh, yeah, he's got the chops for this role and then some, and he, he holds the movie. Um, he overshadows most everyone else. Uh, there's some fine supporting performances in there. And I, I like Ellen Drew a lot as Thea. Uh, the, uh, she's built, interestingly, ahead of uh, Mark Kramer as Oliver Davis, the kind of uh, somewhat generic hero. But is but he one of these typically strong Luton female protagonists, like um, the co-worker in Cat People. And in person, the Cat People, same character, now she's a married mother. And like the lead in I Walk With a Zombie, the point-of-view character, it's fairly rare to have a point-of-view character who was female in a feature film, Rebecca did it, and and some others, but in in horror especially, uh, or anything like horror, I guess, I don't really think of I Walk With a Zombie as a straight-on horror movie. Right. Tragic, supernatural romance, but she is a point-of-view character um, with voiceover for the first half. uh, The voiceover disappears at a halfway point, that's kind of a signal that things are out of control. It's not being narrated. But we talked about
0: that. You know, this era specifically... Well, anything, you know, in, in this era or previously, or even since really to have that strong female lead. Uh, the like you said, the viewpoint character, the one taking us through the story. That's one of the things that I really like about the Val Luton films, is that the women really are fully developed, fully realized characters. They're not just props to be, you know, chased around by the men or whatever. They they really are the ones that are kind of pushing things forward. And without them there is no story. And that's one of the things I really respect about the Luton films. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that a screenwriter was female. I mean, I'm sure that probably helped.
5: Ardell Ray. I wonder if she was related to Faye. Probably not. That would be,
0: interesting. <laughs> be fascinating.
5: RKO. I mean, yeah? they're both working for RKO, so it's possible. Um, and Ardell worked with Kurt uh, Sjotnick on the beautiful screenplay for I Walked with, with, a, with a Zombie. Yeah. So Lou knew who to hire as directors and as writers You know, to get me started on, on how incredible Jacques Tourneur is. That's for another conversation. Um, you can see his impact on Ropes and uh, Ropes. He does a fine job here. He's not the director that, that Jacques Tourneur is, and I wish Tourneur had directed Island the Dead. But back to uh, Alan Jew as Cleo. Thea, whose name means divinity, you know, and she mm-hmm. she is the force of good mistaken for the force of bad, as often happens, not just, but in life. I mean, she's a Christ figure in that sense, the divinity that is called first, And the goal is to actually shoot her, essentially, for Madam Kira, and and also ultimately for the General. Um, She's going to be sacrificed uh, for our sins, as it were. But she stands up to General right away, not afraid. And then, you know, every step of the way, she's super strong. Even though she's told, no, you have to stay here while we menfolk go out and deal with this, I would bring her out there because she's probably going to handle it better. Her caretaking also, of Mrs. St. Alban is touching
0: and poignant. You mentioned, you know, refusing to serve him wine, and wine oftentimes is used as a metaphor for Christ in the Bible, and I wonder if there's right. any... Right,
5: it's like she's excluding him from the communion table. Yeah, exactly. Because he does, th- does things like what we've just seen him do, yeah. you know, with the major or whatever. Um, she recognizes evil when she sees it. And again, I'm going to say it's not unmitigated evil. Yeah i got a pet peeve with this movie, if you want to hear it. Oh,
0: yeah, sure. No, I'd love... Yeah, please.
5: It applies to a lot of the movies of its time, and really all the way up through the 80s. The thing is that in Greece, during the First Balkan War, uh, we've got, if I recall correctly if I'm wrong, exactly one actor of Greek heritage who speaks with the Greek accent that they all should have. <laughs> yeah. Reporter Mar- um, Oliver Davis is from Boston, and actually, he should have a Boston accent, but you know, he just sounds like a Midwestern American, and the Greek, except the Swiss uh, doctor who doesn't sound Greek, and they're all speaking in either English or American accents. Now, wait a second. Okay, we've got the Cockney guy who dies first, right? Sure, sure. Right, I forgot about him, Robin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the St. Aubyns are supposed to be from England, I believe. So I, I spoke too generally, but the Greek characters should be speaking with Greek accents. And more recently, an actor will tackle that more often than not. And so some of the atmosphere of it, which otherwise is so effective, I think is pondered by having actors speaking with American and English accents in cases where they're supposed to be. Greek.
0: I recognize that right off the bat. And I love Karloff. I mean, I adore his voice. I'd listen to that man read anything. I mean, I know it's stereotypical to say, you know, listen to him, read the phone book, but I really would, but sounding like a Greek general, he does not. And yeah, that was, a, no. that was a, it was a little bit of a stretch, but you know, you just kind of have to accept that with some of these older films. I feel like you're right. Yeah, they it's did, a yeah. It's just yeah, it is a convention, yeah, yeah. But but it is something that has gotten better over the years.
5: All the Universal horror movies that were supposed to take place in some version of austro Germany, you know, Frankenstein and so forth. And I would give Karloff a waiver in uh, Isle of the Dead. He's being cast for his star power oh, and just power, and to some extent for that great voice um, and the accent that we love. But the others, you know, maybe find either actors um, who speak Greek, actors who can fake the Greek accent. Honestly, any good actor um, with a little time and a uh, little dialogue coaching is part of your job. Yeah. You know, Kevin Costner should have, should have done it for uh, <laughs> the Thieves, Robin Hood Princess Thieves, should have learned to do an English accent. But actually, the story on that is that, the, that they were planning for him infl- to to do they shot the whole thing and then he was going to go back and pull his lines and dub his lines and um, after working with the dialogue coach oh I didn't know the that studio rushed to, uh, studio rushed the movie out and he didn't
0: I did know. not realize they were planning to have him not go back really. in and redo it interesting
5: right it's not a, a case of pure ineptitude like uh, Keanu Reeves in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula um, <laughs> where you know Keanu Reeves is an Englishman and so it, you can see him remembering he's supposed to be British right at the end of each line Nina, I would like to accompany you to the castle, but I can't.
0: Yeah, um,
5: all right, here comes all the mail from, from the Keanu <laughs> Yeah,
0: please send your emails to Paul at... <laughs> no, I agree. And there was a younger Keanu. I feel like these days he might try something a little different, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, Karloff. Doesn't sound Greek, but still cool. Still good to listen to. <laughs>
5: I'm, oh, yeah. I'm trying to get his back on track. He's wonderful. <laughs> He's commanding until he isn't, and that's the great uh, thing is watching him lose control. He's every bit the general until uh, he faces a rival that he can't. So a lot of what's going on in this movie is this notion of science, rational thought, logic, data, expertise on the one hand, and superstition, false beliefs. That's in there. Um, Now, that having been said, I don't think the movie says science will save you. Uh, It says, hey, you're going to die either way. I think, honestly, it's a reasonably healthy outlook to see that death is a part of life, the last part, specifically, but that, that, you know, there is no escape. And where is the line? Fight death all your days and die knowing you know nothing. That acknowledgement of ignorance is the beginning of wisdom.
0: You've met my wife, and, uh, you know, she's been on the show in the past. We were out... uh, before all this started happening and we had to stay at home and all that, we were out at the grocery store one day and she was wearing a T-shirt. It's, you know, it's in this nice, pretty font and, you know, happy, cheery colors. And it just says, someday we're all going to die. And uh, An older woman stopped and <laughs> like stopped and asked her, you know, why would you wear a shirt like that? And Brenda just said, because it's true. And I, th- I think there's something to be said for acknowledging that. I mean, not to be too dark and gloomy about it, but, you know, once you realize that, I feel like you can start living more fully. And, and this is going into a different sure. topic altogether, probably. But, you know, to get back on track... No, it's
5: your main one. It is germane to the movie. I think that's in here. I think that had to be part of the way Luton um, approached the world and approached all this dark material. There's light in this dark material, just as there's silver luminescence and silver screen luminescence and the darkest stuff in this and the tourneurs. And, by the way, there is something... Worse than death. Oliver, uh, the journalist, he says there is something here more dangerous. And to take it into today, I'd say there's something more dangerous than COVID 19. And it's this, the mismanagement sure, of sure. a plague. Um, there is something much worse than the plague, and it's hatred, and it's a lack of compassion, a lack of empathy, a lack of altruism.
4: Yeah.
5: You know, he's right. Um, the journalist is right. There is something much worse than death. By the way, you shouldn't watch this as a model for how to acquit yourself during the COVID-19 um, pandemic. Part. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's very little social distancing going on. And two of the survivors spark a romance over the course of the film and uh, do some passionate kiss, and they survive. So this is not meant to be a guidebook. You can wash your hands all you want, but if you're you know sticking your tongue down someone's throat, probably uh uh, it's gonna. Be awesome. <laughs> so you're
0: saying making out with my wife isn't gonna you know do me any favors. Got it. I want to comment one more thing about the, the inevitability of death and, and what Val Lewton was facing and that sort of thing. Yeah. His career up until this point, he'd been stuck with RKO and he'd been given assurances and promises and, and he'd been led on that he was going to get to do bigger and better things. He was going to get away from this small B movie unit. He was going to do bigger productions. The one time he did get to do a bigger production, it got severely cut down in the editing room and hardly anybody remembers the movie now. that wasn't a genre film at all. So, I felt like maybe Luton was exorcising some of his feelings of being stuck, the inevitability of being stuck in this mold that he just kind of got stuck there. He wasn't able to move on. No matter what he did, he kept getting held back by RKO. So I wonder if some of that kind of leeches into the film, too, which makes me enjoy it even more, knowing more about what happened with Al Luton and his career with RKO and what was going on there. I think Karloff and Luton were good for each other in that regard, though, because they both kind of energized each other. They
5: had a lot in common. They were both immigrants to America who went into the pictures, and they were both cultured men, intellectuals, with a deep appreciation of the arts. Before RKO, I, I think you know we would have to ask um, Luton's son, who I think is still alive, he had it even worse for Selznick, so at least he got to produce at RKO, which he had not done before. Right. You look up on IMDB, his producing credits start with *Cat*, and he had a hit first time out of. I was, Z was not, it barely made its budget back, but, but cat people was. And he was given a chance partway through to do uh, a little um, more a budget stuff, but they wouldn't let him take his people with them. And, and uh, he was a good man who was not gonna, you know, um, go after the brass ring at the expense of some of the folks on whom he had relied for, for, uh, his, his first years in yep. Hollywood, and, you know, even though he ran into, you know, everyone runs into it. You can listen to what Sterling had to say about BBS and the sponsors, you know. and uh, They didn't want him to say anything at all controversial. And so, yeah, he ran into stuff from RKO, but I think that, relatively speaking, he had freedom in being a producer and in working so closely with Sjad uh, Mac and Ardell Ray and the others on those scripts. Supposedly, he did final polishes on every script.
0: Sure, yeah. Uh,
5: in the case of the Tourneurs, and Tourneur did the same, and so I'm going to guess I'm a, in the case of the Tourneurs, the, the ones that he did together, uh, that they did together, probably um, they were both putting their final imprint on what uh, you know, Theo Mech and Ray had written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he ran into those Hollywood frustrations, but he had, if not free reign, then free er reign, than he'd had as the story editor himself, and apparently um, took for granted, and... And, and didn't give credit where
0: credit was due. I mentioned earlier one of my favorite scenes in this film had nothing to do with Karloff, and it, it has to do with right. the two men talking by the altar. You know, the man of science versus the man of faith. It just. Mm-hmm. right when those two start talking back and forth and earlier in the film too when they make the bet you know is science going to cure us or is it going to be me praying to hermes that those scenes really strike a chord with me Th- there's something about those scenes that just kind of yeah. resonate with me i've always appreciated when you have a film that deals with something that could be supernatural or superstition and you have those two forces kind of sparking against each other as everybody's trying to deal with what's going on. And to see it in this film, again, it's just some of my favorite Mm -hmm. moments in the movie. Granted, one of those scenes ends with them making a bet and shaking hands and then realizing, oh, wait, we weren't supposed to touch. You know, it's like, whoops. Correct
5: me if I'm wrong. I think that that's Dr. Albrecht, Dr. Drossos, the physician, right? They make the bet. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and so um, they're both men of science. Um, And and what Albrecht, the archaeologist, says essentially as well, what can it hurt? Um mm-hmm. I, I'm following I'm trying to follow the directions um because I, I don't doubt what this is and what causes it. But he creates an altar and lights the fire to Hermes and makes the bet saying, We'll see how I do with this. So it's not even a, it's so much pitting faith against science as saying, um, just do everything we can to try and save ourselves. And notice, by the way, this is skipping ahead sort of, but um when the non vorvalica the accidentally interred Mary St. Aubin, rises, gets the trident, she gets it from uh, the archaeologist's desk, right? Because she's the one who has unearthed it, presumably. Yeah. She walks by him. She kills the two people who have been threatening her young ward, the two people who have been spreading the superstition and who want to kill Portia. She kills first uh, Metakira the prime mover, and then she goes into the room and waits, kind of in the background. Sia has no idea, but she's waiting for the general. So even in her madness, caused by being buried alive, that classic premature burial ball at the House of Usher thing, even in her madness, she's able to tell good from people. She takes the lives of the two would-be killers, the superstition mongers, Madame Fira, and General fruit She spares uh, her young war. She uh, the archaeologist Albrecht. Albrecht, played by Jason Robards Sr. Yeah. Um, an actor of some note back then, and his son uh, became uh, an even more popular and acclaimed actor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's another pretty famous actor in here. Alan Napier.
0: It is so hard for me to see him without thinking Batman. I just, I can't yeah. do it. I try so hard, and I know he's a better actor than that, but I just can't think of anything but Alfred whenever I see him on screen. Right?
5: Yeah, this is Tree Alfred. He's playing uh, Mr. St. and the weirdo well, not initially. The, the the husband and then widower.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's a great actor. Nothing against him or anything. I just I can't because I grew up watching, you know, this in syndication, Batman in syndication. I'd race home from school and watch it and all that. Yeah. And I just I can't think of anything other than Alfred when I see him, but. He's also very good in this. And you know, you've know you got Skelton Nags in here at the very beginning as well, who's also fun to watch. He's uh, Robbins. He dies early in the film. But he's also fun and entertaining to watch as well.
5: He has a lot of great character parts in, in movies of this era, Skelton yeah. Nags. And then, you know, um, Rose Hobart was initially to play Mrs. St. Aubin slash False Borovolica. But Karloff had uh, back trouble, I think back surgery. And they had to put the filming on hold for six months after they, just after they... they so uh, Rose Cobart can be seen. Um, she wasn't available when they went back to shooting, and she appears in a long shot. And
0: I didn't know that when I first watched this, that they had had to stop about halfway through because of what was going on with Karloff and his health and his back, and then they came back. And didn't they shoot the body snatcher pretty much in the middle of all this? In the
5: interim. Yeah, they did in the interim because they had to get everyone from uh, Isle of the Dead back. and everyone's everyone scheduled to do that. To the credit of the actors and especially the director, um, you would never know it by watching the movie that there had been a gap uh, the continuity of performances and overall is flawless
0: yeah like i said i had no idea i couldn't tell at all that there was any issues when i first watched this going back and re- learning a little bit more about it and then finding that out i'm even more impressed by this film i know it didn't do as well as some of yeah. Luton's other films yeah. and, and really when we think about Luton, we don't think about isle of the dead we think about walk with a zombie or cat people and all that but i think this one i mean really nails the sense of dread more than almost more than any of his other work yeah almost
5: dread and melancholy as well but there's a bit of a sweetness in the bittersweet and you know i've made fun of the kiss before but that kiss is a prayer you know it's a statement and a prayer and and it's beautiful moment yeah yeah
0: i was completely heartbroken and crestfallen for the couple when we see that the boat has been destroyed by the general I was just crushed. It's like, man, this bright spot of the film, you know, they're about to get away. They're going to survive. They're going to get away from what's going on here. They may bring the plague with them, but at least they're away from what's going on on the aisle. But no. <laughs>
5: yeah, but I'm going to play uh, Faridi's advocate here and say they may not leave. Right, I know. They may not leave. And I get that. No one may leave. And, and I get that. But <laughs> They should not leave. Oliver Davis and Sia. it's not just about you and your young love. So, yeah, uh, you see the boat and you put yourself in their shoes and you think, oh, God, there went our own hope. But um, the, ultimately, the problem is not that all those people have to stay on the island. Yeah. It's what's happening to Faridis because of Faridese's own uh, weakness within. They could have a grand full time. They could be making s'mores. They could go <laughs> stories and doing these shadow puppets on the wall, but for Kira and Farid. It's a very different movie. Very different movie, Grant.
0: Yeah, I mean, I look around my own home right now, and I see all these books and all these movies, my wife, my cats, probably not necessarily in that order, Uh, wonderful things to enjoy here at home. So I don't mind seeing at home. It's all cool. It's cool. You know, I'll get it.
5: There is this silver lining, absolutely. I mean, all the performances that I had and the public appearances that I had had to get pushed back indefinitely, and and that was heartbreaking. But um, I'm seeing more of my wife than I ever have. It's going well. (laughs) Not perfectly, but well. Uh, These are the proven grounds. We're all living on the proven grounds. Good people become better. Bad people become worse. Same goes with relationships, because the Proven Grounds, you know, forces the issue, and that takes us back to Isle of the Dead. We see that Perides, ultimately, he's not a good person, because when the crisis hits, it brings out the worst in him rather than the best, whereas someone like Thea, you know, just absolutely glows amidst this. So does the archaeologist. So does the doctor, you know. Uh, so does the St. Auban um, and to the extent that Mrs. St. Aubyn It does not bring out the best in her. It's not her fault. So, yeah, here we are at a time when uh, we have the potential. You know, maybe that's that's the great usefulness of this particular movie at this particular moment. We can watch it and see that crisis of this kind of pandemic can bring out the best in us or bring out the worst in us. Does it remind me? Does does the hot wind come in at the end, or, or do we leave them in limbo? No,
0: the wind starts to come back in, so things start to get better.
5: It may not be scientifically accurate that, because the only people there who were touching mouths to each other um, that we know of, at least, um, are the ones who survived. I'm not again. Don't watch it for uh, advice on on the technical part of how to of how to acquit yourself during a during a plague. But in terms of how to be as a person yeah. and how to be in relationship with others and how to caretake others as we see a couple of, of examples of. You know, Oliver, before he is in love with the uh, he's to uh, protect her throughout as best he can. Thea uh, is taking care of Mrs. Um, St. Aubin. The doctor is trying to take care of everyone. And those people all live. The caretakers live. The only one who doesn't is Mrs. St. Aubin.
0: Now, they don't all die of the plague, right? I mean... They're not all the same cause of death.
5: One, two, three. The first three succumb to septicemic plague.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Number four, Mrs. Aubin is thought to have it, but ultimately her cause of death right at the end is going to be kind of an accident-slash-suicide. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, i left out the guy who shoots himself. Okay, so there's that. And then the last two, Kira and the General, are killed by... You know, let's say they're killed by the Ravolica because from their point of view, they are. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. And so when, when Parides, he, he's worried at the end about the Vervolica and, and Oliver has the decency and the goodness to play along, essentially, as Parides is dying. And frankly, with the death of the two who believed in Vervolica, that is the death of the of them, The only people left on the island are good people who won't be pointing the finger at someone else for a pandemic that is no one's fault.
0: All in all, I recommend this movie if people haven't seen it yet. I, I think it's something that is very relevant for what's going on now that said it's also an enjoyable film in that it's very well mm-hmm. shot. The performances are amazingly well done. I love the music in this. The score is fantastic. Yeah, It yeah. just looks gorgeous. That aisle, if not for what's going on with Karloff's character in the plague, I'd love to hang out there. I'd love to visit. Yeah, I would tour it. It's got a lot more than just a message, you know? I'm sorry, did you just say that you would tour the aisle? Is that what you just said? I would tour the island.
5: Yeah, not during plague time, but I would tour it. It's pretty cool looking man. That That kind of leads me to some of these sequences toward the end that are um, evocative of the walk with the zombie and I walked with the zombie and of the uh, walk through Central Park and the swimming pool scene and cat people Yeah. because there's no dialogue. Oh,
0: you're right. They hardly use any dialogue there. It's so sparse.
5: Sparingly, yeah. Much more sparingly than in, say, the universal order of comfort. Turnor, Luton, uh, Robeson, they knew when not to... Uh, music on the soundtrack. We hear the dripping of water, I believe, on the top of the coffin. And uh those the, the shots of the resurrected Mrs. Saint Auburn in her long stone nightgown. And those are the moments when it really becomes kind of the most potent or at least the most, or Nuri, sure. and, and they don't work as well as their correlates in the other movie, but they take us into the neighborhood.
0: And not being like the Universal films, which I adore, don't get me wrong, I, yeah. mean, I think everybody knows that, but not being like those films was something that Luton was very aware of. He did not want to make those kinds of movies. Right. So it was a very intentional choice, and a, a very good choice, yes. because it really brings a, a different sense of... Man, I don't know what the word would be, but there's just a different feel that you don't get in the Universal movies. I love the Universal films. I love the music from those things it's as right. over the top as it sometimes gets. I love them, but there's just something a little bit more uh, or subtle at work.
5: I think we're talking about things like implication and insinuation.
0: Implication and insinuation. I like that. I like that a lot. That's That's exactly it. Again, it just speaks to the mastery, I think, of Luton, the ability he had to turn these images or lack of images into moving pieces of story and just the the mastery that he had over the art of cinema. I'm a Luton fan through and through. And like I said at the beginning of this, (laughs) this one's my favorite Luton film right now because it's the most recent I watched. I have not watched a (laughs) Luton film that I have disliked. So he just happens to have that effect on me. This conversation with Paul was recorded before Lucha de Mayo, which means I've been sitting on it for a little while, which means that since then, the entire video of Paul's presentation with the Woodland Pattern Book Center has been made available online through YouTube. You can go to the Woodland Pattern Book Center's YouTube channel and look up Paul McCombis screening or... Just follow the link in the show notes. It's about two hours of Paul presenting these films that he did when he was a kid and then coming back to them and kind of doing the intergenerational thing. It's pretty cool stuff. I love watching these older movies, these home movies done by Monster Kids or first-generation Monster Kids. You get to see a lot of that in what Paul did back then and what he's doing now by adding to it with sound and new dialogue and maybe even recutting things a little bit here and there. It's fun. So, again, link in the show notes. Paul, thank you for doing the show and making those movies available to all of us Monster Kids to check out. And yeah, in the conversation you did hear, Paul and I talk about King Kong. That will be the next thing we talk about later this year. So stay tuned for that. Paul, thanks again, man.
1: 20 years ago, in the barony of Frankenstein, a monster created by man stalked through the country, Ming and Killing. In time, Frankenstein, maker of the monster, died. The monster disappeared. Now, after 20 years, the son of Frankenstein returns and fear grips the village anew. A man tainted by the blood of his father can forget his human soul and carry on the diabolical work of the Frankensteins. As a man, I should destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Benson, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale, Universal son of Frankenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. Vassal Rathbone, in his heart, warm human emotions, in his mind, the monster mania. It's alive. Alive, you mean? Yes, alive, but alive. I thought you said our experiments. But... I know, I know. I do thought that we failed, but we haven't. I've actually seen it walk. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror go sinister, mysterious, evil. You see that? They hanged me once. Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. One doesn't easily forget, Herr Baron, an arm torn out of the roots. Josephine Hutchinson, her young beauty a magnet to the menace around her. I hate it here, Wolf. I'm terribly afraid all the time. By heaven, I think you're a worse fiend than your father. Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers. werewolves zombies yes these things are real but fortunately for those of us who can afford him so is mark temple and he's good real good he's a former fbi agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems and his rates are negotiable monster hunter for hire the first volume of the supernatural solutions the mark temple case files is now available in both ebook and paperback Go to
0: tinyurl.com
1: slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com
0: slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. end of this episode of monster kid radio thanks for being along for the ride thanks for checking us out and if you are brand new to the podcast welcome if you're a long-time listener thanks for coming back if you're a user of social media please consider sharing the links to the episode retweeting tweets on twitter and sharing pages on facebook and sending up the smoke signals for myspace or whatever it is they do over there i think we even post on linkedin I i think anyway Spread the word. Let people know about us. And you can send them to monsterkidradio.net because that's where you are going to find everything that you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. The links to Paul's screenings that he did at the Woodland Pattern Book Center, that's going to be there, as well as links to everything else we've talked about here on the show, and our contact information is there as well. You can always email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can call and leave us a voicemail by calling 503-479-5657, that's 503 mkr If you'd like to leave any feedback about anything that you've heard this week or any of the previous 470-plus episodes, please feel free to uh, send in that feedback. We'll go over it in the future episodes. I want to send a special congratulations to my friend, my colleague, Desmond Reddick. Dez is the man behind the Dread Media podcast. They've been going just a little bit longer than I have overall when it comes to podcasting. He started just before I started Mail Order Zombie. That means he's been going for over 10 years. In fact, they just dropped episode 666 of Dread Media, and it's a mega-sized episode. And because of the number, yeah, he decided to go ahead and focus on horror movies that happen to have a satanic element Kind of like how we did with Satanic Rites of January. Well, he spent an entire episode doing this. And I was fortunate enough to be one of the people that he invited to come onto the show to talk about my favorite devil. And of course, because I'm a monster kid, I think you can probably guess which Karloff Lugosi film I talked about over there. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes over to Dez's podcast as well. Dez, once again, congratulations on hitting 666 episodes. Here's to another 666. Also on the website, you're going to find a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and maybe even help influence the show. The reason we discussed Isle of the Dead this week on Monster Kid Radio is because that's what some of the patrons voted on. Depending on what tier you come in on as a patron, you may be able to participate in these irregular polls that I post. And last month, I got my patrons' feedback and they decided... That this was what you're going to hear this week. If you come in as a universal level patron, you get to participate in future polls as well. And I had so much fun doing this. I think at the end of this month, I'll put another poll out asking the patrons what episode you want to hear the first week of July. But that's a month away. Let's talk about what's coming up next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the movie The Colossus of New York from 1958.
1: It's inhuman. inhuman inhuman it would be inhuman to deprive the world of his genius with your knowledge of automation you can help him to live again fantastic are the implications of this story today as men delve ever closer to the secrets of eternity this story of a human mind and emotions encased in a steel colossus without a soul that isn't just an abstract intellect it's a brain that remembers and feels and suffers Do you think for one minute he can continue to exist when he's been deprived of everything he's ever known or loved? Impelled by an overwhelming lust for revenge against the world that remade him in this inhuman mold, Unchecked by any barrier of man or nature. Running wild in a terrifying orgy of destruction.
0: had a great time talking about this movie with my friend Todd Brown from The Haunted Cinema. So you'll want to come back for that and then just as kind of a heads up to maybe tease you a little bit the week after that we're having Anthony Wendell come back to the show and we're going to be talking about the movie Atragon. And what the heck, I'll tell you the week after that, we're going to be talking about the movie Bride of the Gorilla with our friend, Tom Garganis, who's never been on the show before. It'll be a first time appearance for him. And then at that point we're into July. So back to the whole universal tier patron on Patreon thing. Before signing off again, a reminder about this Saturday's The Social Distance Saturday That Wouldn't Die screening from 11 a.m. till probably 9.30, 10 o'clock p.m. Pacific. Come into twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio and join the fun. Chat it up with your fellow monster kids as you watch some awesome monster movies. I've been having a blast putting these things together and I hope that translates through the internet and the tubes and the video and the chats and the twitches and everything else to where you guys have as much fun watching the movie. You know what? We're just going to wrap up. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. The song Sea Treasure is copyright 2020, Amphibian Man, which you can find over at amphibianman.bandcamp.com. It's part of their new digital album, Isolation Songs. You can pick it up for pretty much whatever. It's a name-your-price kind of thing, so go check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.